Amato's fifth quarter is partnered with the Inner Sanctum. The Inner Sanctum, founded in 2020, is the new ball game in sports journalism, which aims to take you behind the closed doors of sporting clubs around the country in an effort to tell the stories of those on the field. Visit the Inner Sanctum at www.theinnersanctum.com.au as well as following them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. The Inner Sanctum, unique interviews, unique content for you. This is Travis Stokes. This is Greg Oddy. This is Carson Edwards. This is Brett Maher. This is Dale Kicker. This is Eugene Brickman. This is Kevin Brooks. This is Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Daryl McDonald. This is Sam Jacobs. This is Cal Brooks. This is Marcus Burry. And you're listening to Amato's Fifth Quarter. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 14 of A5Q. I'm your host, Dan, and it's been such a fun ride so far. 14 episodes, giving you guys special guests that have come on the show and listening to them talk about their careers and and the good times and bad, etc., etc. It's been so much fun, and I really am very appreciative of everyone who has left a good review and and who has told their friends and family about it. It means a lot to me, and hopefully you continue to stick around and and keep listening to, to these interviews because it's a lot of fun. Getting, getting positive feedback is always great, hey? So if you could definitely do me a favor for those who haven't already, hit me up with a, a review and a rating, hopefully five stars, if you do enjoy this content and definitely uh, spread the word and tell your friends. But for tonight's episode, we've got another very special guest coming on the show. It's Marcos Flores, who of course is an absolute fan favorite of the A-League, one of the superstars that we've been lucky to have here in Australia playing in our league. As much as Marcos Flores was a great player, always be fondly remembered here in Australia for what he did in the A-League, I actually think his legacy is bigger off the field because one of the biggest compliments you could give someone is them being a good person. 
And Marcos Flores is absolutely an, a, a gentleman, a, just a fantastic human being and someone who is so passionate about bringing up the new generation of footballers and the new generation of human beings. He has such a passion for for children and bringing up that new generation of footballers and, and wanting them to not just, as I said, not just be good footballers, but being good people as well and doing the right thing in life and making good decisions and all these sorts of things. Uh, he, it's really inspirational to listen to and I think you're going to be very, very moved and very touched by this episode because you really will see pretty much straight away just how genuine he is and how humble and and how caring of a, of a person he is. So to have him on the show was absolutely fantastic and th- this really is a very special episode. So I'm really excited to bring you uh, this episode, this chat with Marcos Flores. We will talk about what he did achieve in his career because of course he was a superstar. He is originally from Reconquista in Argentina and, and rose up the ranks to, to eventually play in Argentina and then he went to Chile and then of course came to Australia. Later on played in America and played in Bali as well for Bali United. But from 2009 to 2015, he did play here in Australia for Adelaide United, Melbourne Victory, the Central Coast Mariners, and of course, the Newcastle Jets. And here in our league in Australia, he played 73 games. He scored 17 goals, played in four finals. He was the Johnny Warren medalist in 2010-11, which is, of course, the highest individual award you can win in the A-League. That 2010-11 season was absolutely the pinnacle of his career, particularly here in the A-League. One, all Adelaide United supporters remember very, very fondly, played every game, scored nine goals and was easily the best player, not just for the for the club, but the league as well. Was one-time A-League team of the season, which is, of course, that 2010-11 season. Again, was the A-League Foreign Player of the Year in 2011. So to bring you this episode tonight with Marcos Flores, it's an absolute honour and a pleasure of mine. Enough of me talking, let's bring him on from... Adelaide United, Melbourne Victory, Central Coast Mariners, and Newcastle Jets. It's the one and only Marcos Flores about to come onto the ground. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. By now, you should have somehow realized what you gotta do. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. Set up Flores in the middle, and they've got a goal already. Marcos Flores is third in three games against the Fury. Just expert from the spot is Flores. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter, and today we're very lucky because we've got a much-loved and cherished figure of the A-League. From Adelaide United, Melbourne Victory, Central Coast Mariners, and Newcastle Jets, we've got Marcos Flores on the show. Marcos, welcome to the show, and thank you very much for coming on today. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Anytime. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, My pleasure. It's been a year now since you retired from Adelaide City, and nearly seven years since your last game in the A-League. What have you been up yeah. to in that time and how have you transitioned now to life out of professional football? I know you're still living here in Adelaide and how's the last year or so gone for you, Marcos? Well, yeah, I played my last professional game in 2017, November 20-something. Um, and, and, and yeah, it was, it was in Indonesia um, after 
after the trip, you know, all around the world, we applied in Chile, in United States, after Australia. And, but yeah, my, my last professional game was in Indonesia. And then I decided to quit after a loss of my father, uh, which passed away with a heart attack in, in 2018, February. Um, and yeah, um, from there, I, my professional career died with my dad and, and, and I decided to travel around the world helping kids in the street. So I began my trip in Russia, uh, went from Buenos Aires to Argentina for, to Russia, and from Russia to Israel, Palestine, Greece, uh, Egypt, Kenya, Tanzania, Madagascar, Sudafrica. Um, just helping kids in the street and playing football in the street. So I summarized it that I, I began my career in, in the street and I wanted to finish my career in the street. And, and, and then when I was in the middle of Tanzania, I received a call from LA City and they invited me to, to come back to Australia after, after like five years. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to come back to Adelaide where it was the first place that I, uh, I, I've landed back in 2010, 2011. Marcos, I'm uh, very sorry to hear about the passing of your father. And, um, you know, that's one thing that I definitely wanted to, to mention today. And we'll get into that a bit later. And, and, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people respect about you is your giving nature. You're, always, you're very genuine and caring, empathetic to others. You're always wanting to bring up the next generation and teach the children around the world the game of football. And that's one thing I really respect about you. Is that always something that you have been passionate about, bringing up the next generation? And also, throughout your career, you've always had a strong involvement with the fans and and celebrating with the fans and getting them involved. Is that always something that's been a passion of yours throughout your career? I I think it was was natural. It's natural. When I was a kid, I was always always in the school organizing the, the soccer tournament, you know, so I was quite um, a passionate kid with the game and, and also I, I made a lot of friends through the game, you know, when, and when I'm talking, when I was nine, ten years old, I used to go to the park by myself and I'm bringing six kids to drink the milk at home, you know, and my mom was saying, well, what's, going, what's going on here, who is this kid? And <laughs> I used the kid that I met in the park, you know, so I was I was always like that. Then when I grow up I'm, I'm, and I start getting involved with the game and I'm, I'm, I'm being mentored by by good coaches uh, in Argentina, I, I was thinking, oh, I can't wait to finish my career. I, I, and, and, and I used to say that at, 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 eight, at the age of 16, 18, and, 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 my, and my teammates were saying, what are you talking about? Oh, I, I, I can't wait to do my playing career and then I'm going to jump to coach. So... It's like a kind of before I started to make my career as a player, I, I wanted just to actually be be able to communicate, to give, to deliver messages, um, and I done it naturally uh, in every single city with every single club that I've been involved, um, and that make me, you know, um, a, a closest a closest person, a closer closer to the fans, you know, without. Without uh, having anything planned, uh, it was natural for me. You know, it's, uh, just to spend I don't know three hours in the in the in the street talking talking about football and talking why uh, why we build the ball from the back um, to the fan that I randomly came to take a photo. You know, um, and and I and I done it all my life. So uh, for me, it's something that 
that it comes in in in, in it comes in, in within me in in my heart. My 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 father and my mother raised me like that. Absolutely beautiful, Marcos. I, I really admire that about you. Is coaching something that you would like to do one day, maybe professionally? In terms of, would you would coaching in the A League be something you would ever be interested in? I don't know, man. To be honest, I don't know. I'm doing all my budget. The C. I wanna now. I, I wanted to jump to the B. Um, I wanted to do the A because I want to know more for the for. Uh, I wanted to know all the details, you know, of how to deliver a good. A good drill to to the youth. Um, today we started we, we started a journey, uh, uh, founding from scratch and building from scratch Adelaide Atletico FC here in Australia in Adelaide. Um, and I am I am really enjoying you know to 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 coach uh, young kids, um, six years old, four years old, sixteen years old, uh, kids with a disability. Um, uh, girls, the, the, the women's level, the the, the, the the girls under 14s, and 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 I and I love that part of of of, of placing the fundamentals of the game. I love that. Now, what is going to happen after coaching 10,000 hours of 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 of, of youth development? What is going to happen to me if one day someone approached me and wanted to? Wanted to bring me to a professional level. I don't know what is going to happen here in the next five, ten years. You know, but um, I'm I, I, I something that I that I know that if I wanted to coach at a professional level, I need to be able to know every single detail of every single culture and every single mind. Why in 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 how we start playing soccer in Australia? If we don't understand how we coach in a kid six years old, um, and how the ten years or what are we missing with the age of ten years old of what we need to actually improve at the age of twelve, fourteen? How how are we gonna be able to really convince an eighteen years old in A League uh, or understand him or comprehend him? You know. On, on what he needs, you know, you need to, you cannot skip this, you know. I'm, I'm not a person that I wanted to skip all the details of, or, or, and all the different approaches. Um, 25 professional players are where one day young kids find the sport, but, you know, on that journey to become professional, a lot of things happen to the players. So if you don't, if you don't master class, um, Every single age, I I doubt it that uh, we can we can convince these twenty five professional players. A lot of talk in Australian football now that we're not producing players like we used to back in before you came to the A League. Players like Harry Kuehl and Mark Viduka, Tim Cahill, these sort of players, Mark Schwarzer. There's a talk that you know the national team isn't as strong as it used to be, and and you're sort of beginning from the the like right at the beginning when they're four, five, six years old and, and you're developing that new generation. What do you think needs to be done from the gap between what you're doing to getting to the A-League? Yeah, we need to be fair. We need to be fair. Um, and when, I'm, when I actually bring in that word fair, you know, it's so, so big and so deep. And, but just to make it simple, we need to, we need to be fair 
with a young kid that wanted to play the sport, and we shouldn't lie to him. We need to help the players to understand that the fundamentals of the games are the most important thing to play this sport. And on top of that, on top of that, of placing the fundamentals of the game, we need to do it under high intensity. And if we are under at 120 kilometers per hour and we complete the pass, we are in a good path. But if we run 200 kilometers per hour and we miss the target, I suggest to go slow down, let's start completing passes and then let's lift intensity. If we are making a six years old to run as best as he can to complete the target, is you win the battle in the in the long term. But if the kid runs six years old, 200 kilometers per hour, and miss the target, miss the ball, miss the ball, um, and everyone said unlucky, unlucky, yeah, yeah. Well, you're a champion. Let's go to Spain on trial. If we do that, we're never gonna produce. The Harakul, the Viduka, the Tinkayo. Yeah, it makes Johnny sense. Warren. Does make sense. Johnny Warren. So in 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 the youth development that I'm involved, we we are making the kids to complete targets and try to go as quick as they can. And when they play in the game at six years old, they should actually try to press as much as possible and try to and when they and try to win the ball back, and if they dribble you, don't worry, just try again. Instead of spending one hour to actually tell the kid to cover, 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 cover. And the kids end up for 40 minutes covering the goal with nonsense. Where the football, at six years old, and as, as Bielsa said, is about attacking, attacking as much as you can, and if you miss the target and it goes to the goal kick, wait, organize to try to win a ball, the, the ball again and attacking again. So um, that is what we need to we need to um, we need to do it, and that is what I wanted to go through. I'm telling the six years old uh, to enjoy the game as much as he can by running running the most that he can and trying to complete passes and scoring goals. Not complicating things. Now, when I'm training my, the kids that, that, are, that, are, that, that we got an inclusion academy where we actually have an academy for kids with a disability, these kids with a cerebral palsy, they got paralyzed half of the body, man, and I'm telling them to stop the ball with the left foot. And the, and the players are telling me, Marcus, the left foot is paralyzed. And I said, I don't mind. You, you show me that there is no limit. You show me that, that there is no excuses, mate. So come on, stop it. And I got videos where the kids stop the ball with the left foot and they pass it with the right foot when they got half body paralyzed, mate. We don't understand this as under 18 in, in NTC program or SAP program. And, and just we, we are actually there just to winch and go at 60%. Don't do it, man. I can hear the passion in your voice and you're very... You, I can tell that what you're doing now, you love what you do. I do, mate. I know what, so we never do it. That's fantastic. And seeing children not just playing the game to the best of their ability, but having fun playing the game and enjoying it. That's, that's we, we need to be honest between ourselves, all the football community. Guys, we have fun when we do the things right. We have fun when we win games, is that correct? But not at every cost, mate. 
the kids don't have fun when they win 50-0. No, that's true. So um, I'm, I'm inviting to think. I mean, I, 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 we went to the seven-a-side competition, and then I said, well, okay, let's play with one defender. And they said to me, well, what, what do you mean? You just, we are under 10, under 12. Why we don't play with one? If they're going to attack with one number nine, let's put one defender. If they're going to attack with three midfielders, let's put three midfielders. And if they're going to just leave uh, um, three at the back, let's put three in front. And we play one-on-one, all the, all the, all, but they said, but one long ball, and long ball was, we, we run back. Where's the problem? And if they score like that, it's not a problem. If they put one player upside, it's not a problem. We just play the game. I'm from, I'm, I'm doing these crazy tactics. Yeah, and with, with kids that love the game and complete passes and run as much as they can, we won 23 from 24, mate. And the one that we didn't won, we draw. But I'm not, I'm not saying this to say, wow, wait, that is fantastic. This guy wins games. No, 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 mate. We actually won games because we ran and we pressed more than others. Not because we were fantastic. We scared them by being fearless. You know, you got a coach that said, "Just put three strikers. Let's put two midfielders. Let's let's just put one defender." That is why we won. The kids didn't know what to do. If normally everyone actually played the ball from the back and everyone is, is run in slow motion, and they run in slow motion not because they cannot run, it's because adults would put fears in the kids. We hold them back. And then we asked him, and we criticized in the new generation. Ah, no, nah, but they playing a PlayStation and Instagram and blah, blah, blah. We hold them back. Because after, when your son said to me, Daddy, can I go to the park? You said, no, you can't. I'm working. Is that right? 20 years ago, Kiwi, uh, or, right, or Viduka, used to go to the park and play 10 versus 10. Yeah, and Kia, we are that. not allowing kids to go to the park. So what do you want? What do you think? That part I actually, of it. You don't really think about that part of it, do you? Our club, our club, for example, when we started session, we talk with the 50, 50, 60 players together in on the grass and the 50 parents behind. I'm not telling the parents you cannot get closer. No, come, uh, you cannot get closer. I'm saying to them, come closer, listen what we what we're saying so you understand what we want. Because at the end of the day, all you want is you want the, the kids to get better. To get better and to have fun, and the kids got fun when they actually, when they actually are capable to give a pass, mate. They don't have a fun. They don't have fun when you put just a kid on the grass and they dribble him ten, two million times, and you say unlucky. Man, it's, it's fantastic what I'm seeing in the in the youth development, and it's fantastic what I see when I invite everyone to play the game. Kids that with, with 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 mental illness, man, they come in and they run in like you. The, the, uh, 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 two weeks ago, one kid said to me, twelve years old, coach, that was the quickest, that was the the the, the quickest um, uh, run that I ever made in my life. And you know what I said to him? Just go one and one, one and one, from halfway to the goal. Try to score a goal. One on one. Is that too complicated, man? Not when you put it like that, no. And the kid actually went so hard because someone was chasing from behind. I just let him deploy go 20, 20 yards in front. And the kid, man, 
inspired the entire training because he was so fast. And he, he took that and he was able to show us because we give him an opportunity, man. And if we don't give it opportunities, we just said, no, no, come on trials. No, here we are JPL. No, here we are MPL. Here you are community. You are a Salic. You are, yes, it's all right if you're really fair, man. If you're fair, I'm okay with it. And what is being fair is that if you wanted to train elite, yeah, if you wanted to be, we are super elite, yeah, we are the Ajax of Australia, great, make the players to dribble, to juggle 20 times left and right. Because if you said that, and then you got in your in your youth development that you got kids that are kind of juggle, and they're taking the space of somebody that really wanted, but his father cannot buy the kind of petty fees, what are we doing in Australia? You're very right in what you're saying, and there's no clear pathway to make the professional level in Australia. That's obviously something that you're trying to to help fix. Because you look at, I mean, where you're from in Argentina and, and you yep. know, Spain and Italy and these sort of places, England, um, even to a certain extent America, really, there's, yep. there's clear pathways to make the professional level. Whereas in Australia, to be honest with you, a lot of the time, it's kind of who you know, which isn't really fair. And the thing is, we are copy-paste what Europe does, but we are Australia. If we don't embrace who we are, yeah, I agree with that. To, I agree. And we're trying to imitate others. Hmm, we're not going to go far, man. I wanted to see the Australian, the tough, man. Another thing with Australia is you've got to compete with all these other sports. Yeah, 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 which is all right. The other day, someone said to me, uh, um, in the school, I'm, I'm actually coaching in the college, yeah? In Gleason College. I'm 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 a I'm a head coach of or I'm running the curriculum of soccer, which is I'm really happy and passionate because these guys put soccer as a subject, but they don't do it like other sports or that. If you actually go to that school and you wanted to do soccer the entire year, they bring an specialist. Yeah, last year was Daniel Malam. Now they brought me into the program, and it's fantastic. Yeah. We play soccer and, and, and we have fun and, um, and, and, and everything is cool, you know. Uh, but, but, mate, um, uh, we need to, we need to, when I, when I go to that, to that level, yeah, I'm asking them exactly what I asked to the native player, Luis Arrigo, when we, when we catch up once to train in the park. Exactly the same thing. And what I asked to Luis Arrigo, Luis, can you complete this pass of five yards and go as quickly as possible 20 times? If you are a good player, man, you complete the pass, man. The five yards one, you complete it. If you're an A-League player, you juggle the ball 20 times, is it right? If you're an A-League player. So if we aim into to that dream, why are we selling trials to Atletico Madrid without being able to juggle the ball 20 times. Why? Because it's a business, man. It's a no-brainer, really. It's no-brainer. I mean, and, 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 and the beauty, I said to, 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 to the parents, um, guys, you come to a youth development where you find an agreement that you want to see evolution of your child on and off the field. 
and please sign the paper that says I don't bring my kids to win the championship. That is on the, on the papers of Atletico, man. So if some some guy in six months said to me, "Ah, hey, but coach, we lose in every single game under nine. I'm gonna ask his parent, "Is your son improving? Yes or no?" No, by losing, because of, yeah, when when people, that is what we think. Yeah, development. As much you win, you 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 you're gonna go to NTC. It's not like that, man. It is. It is not. It is not like that. It is not like that. You win two million trophies, and then you are not able to juggle the ball twenty times. NTC will not take you. It's all about working on those fundamental skills. Everything is there, man. And I, I actually skipped it when I was a kid because I grew up in the in, in the town when I didn't have a great academy, so I have a local club, and and I skip it big time, so I become an average player. And I'm, I'm and I'm being honest. Much I'm, more than I'm, an average player, I wouldn't say average. Definitely above uh, in average. average uh, you know why is it? You know why I'm considering myself an average player because I couldn't play the ball with my left foot, man. So that is why I develop a skill to play with my eyes outside of the foot. You got to be able huh? to kick on both both sides of the body, left foot, right foot. You have to. Yeah, you have to. Very oh, You have to try. You have to try to at least know that little part and not avoid it. I'm not asking the player to be perfect with the left and right because the, 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 there is not many players in the world that exist like that. But Di Maria play in the best clubs in the world and he doesn't use the right foot. He doesn't use Di Maria, Angel Di Maria. So it is it is possible. Now, when we're talking about this is when you are 15 and you're getting closer to professional level, you have to complete the target. When you are six years old, you have to cross fingers that the coach encourages you to play with the left. Somehow, or with the with the weakest foot, you need to you need to wish, you need to cross fingers, because if 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 they don't place you the fundamentals there when you are a child, see you later. Definitely giving this a lot of thought. A lot of thought, man. <laughs> I when I actually went to Africa, and I went with a friend with a camera, and I record a kid three years old in Tanzania. And I record a guy of 78 years old in Kenya, completely drunk in the car park. And I was teaching him how to do the body. I recorded. We got it. I got it. I got everything in my computer. Why? Because I explained in the school, the fundamentals can be, can be learned and can be performed by anyone that wants it. I think it's anyone that's willing to work hard enough at it. Yeah, yeah, well, but it, 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 learning how to pass the ball, for example. Learning how to be yeah, willing to learn. Yeah, you, you said right. Um, you actually do the balance on you with your left foot and then you kick with the right. Is that right? And yeah, and, and you do it 100 times. And people, and people actually take for granted. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't work hard at the skills, then you're not going to get anywhere. And I explained that to my, to my players, man. I said, guys, I came in 2010. I won the Johnny Warren. I don't know how to use my left foot, man. I wanted Johnny Warren, but when I came to Australia, they said to me, you come from Argentina, mate? Yeah, yeah. Okay, if you don't run here, you don't want to play. That is what they said They said to me here in Adelaide. And I remember Fox Sport one day, they did an interview when, when I played against Wellington, and I won the man of the match. And I didn't understand why I won it, because I was quiet that game with the ball. 
but they they cut highlights of me tackling, pressing, playing for the jersey. Then is when I understood. Okay, okay, Marcus, if you wanted to play football, you need to get into that page. Work on and off the of the ball. We were we were working in Argentina. We were the number ten was walking man off the ball. Yeah, well, I was going to say because that that brings brings us into the next point of it is that you're originally from Reconquista in Argentina. Yep. And obviously, football has been a big part of your life from the beginning. Where yep. did your love of football start? Was it your were your parents football people, and what what led you to wanting to play football professionally? Then my dad said to me, "Believe in your dreams, mate." My dad was a doctor, he was not a footballer. He loved the sport like everything was in China. Well, 99%, I would say so. I'll leave the little 1% for the doubt. But um, my father asked me at 14 years old, he said to me, Marcus, what do you want to be when you become an adult? And I said, Daddy, doctor like you. Without thinking, eh? Doctor like you. I said, Marcus, but everyone in the club, they're saying that you play really good football. And I said, yeah, but football is a hobby. I will never make it. And my dad said to, to me, why are you saying that? I don't know, man. We are 12 hours past from Boca Juniors, 12 hours past from Rivers. Every single good player goes there, and I would never make it. And my dad said to me, you want to become a doctor? Okay, come with me. So he took me to the clinic. And he made me to watch a delivery of a guy. I nearly passed out at 14 years old, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, that's for And now that my son born three months ago, I was uh, struggling exactly the same. But uh, saying that, my dad said to me after I passed out, obviously, um, he said to me, you still want to become a doctor, man? <laughs> and I said, no, man. Uh, he said, do the things that you love. And I said, I love to play soccer. I said, okay, you can you can go for it. And if you, for some reason, don't make it, I'm going to be there for you, mate. And that was the best gift that someone, someone could receive from Father and son. That's beautiful, isn't it? In, he believed in me. And when you got people that believe in you, man, the only thing that you need to do is to believe in yourself. That That's absolutely beautiful to hear. You did mention that you're a new father now. You got one of your own now. Congratulations, Marcos. That's, that's, Thank you. That's beautiful. Roman Flores Bernard is a, is a boy born in the 2nd of November of 2020. Um, it changed my world. You know? What's it like being a dad? I love it. I love it. I love it. It's the best thing that happened to me. Um, it's the best thing that happened to me. Um, and yeah. And, and brought me, and, and he came and healed my, my heart. My heart was broken, and now, now he completely, me. He, he, he healed me, you know? He healed me because now I understand how much my father loved me. Crazy, crazy. I see my son, and, I, and I'm thinking, wow, man, what I, what, I, what I feel for my son is what my dad felt for me. Time for the first break here on episode 14 of A5Q. 
If you missed episode 13 with the Black Pearl, Cal Bruton, who is an original of the NBL, one of the superstars of the league, here's a little snippet. That was probably the worst nightmare of my life. Um, you know, I got to take you back to 2000, you know, where, where I was asked to come in and they were 1-11. And, uh, and Herb McKeachin gave me a call. And, of course, Herb and I were the first two black Americans to play in the NBL. We've been best buddies ever since. And, uh, and so he called me and said, yo, man, we're going to need some help. And we think you're the guy that can do it. Would you be prepared to come down for three months and, and see if we can turn this thing around? Because we have, we have financial trouble. But we also got a good team and we think we can do better than what we're doing. So I accepted. Uh, senator Peter Cook, who was the Western Australia state senator, and he was also the deputy leader of the opposition offered me an opportunity to stay at his home. The Black Pearl is definitely one of the most inspirational people I've listened to with a fantastic story, so definitely go check out the full app. But for now, let's get back to A-League fan favourite, Marcos Flores. So you started playing professionally in Argentina at the age of 17, and then you played in Chile. So what led you to coming to Australia and playing in the A-League? Oh, well, the poor management that I had back in the day. I got really, really bad agents, football agents, that just wanted money. And yeah, and they didn't want to give me an opportunity in South America, even if I was doing all right. And, and yeah, and the opportunity to come to Adelaide came through another, another lawyer. And yeah, and my agents pushed me to come here. And, and I believe that it was the was the best best mistake that I, that I ever made in my career. The best mistake for good, you know, because I Adelaide Australia completely me as a player. When I was 24 years old, I was I was on and off the field because I was I was having injuries injuries with my hamstrings and and with things, and I was really weak. And in in in, in Argentina, they don't care about you as a as a as a complete picture, they they just care about if your talent plays through ball, and if you are weak and you don't go to the gym, it's your problem, you know. Yeah, you're on your uh, own. You're your own because it's so many talents coming through. They they easy easy, you know. They do next 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 until Sergio Aguero, Lavexi, and blah blah blah. So you are one one drop in the ocean. Um. And when I came here, and, and the Adelaide United Physios uh, examined me, they said, wow, we find a talent from South America, but he has the weakest hamstrings in the planet. Um, and for three or four months, that a lot of people complain about that pre- longest pre-season in the planet. Um, for me, it was the best thing that ever happened, because they put me four months to, to, to do balance with that botsu, but I swear, man, when they when they actually improved my my abs and, and my hamstrings and everything, I was I was able to play every single through ball that was in my head, and I couldn't unleash all these talents because I was not I was not complete as a player, you know. So Australia did that for me, um, and then and then once that I stepped in Australia, I, I, I said to my family, I will never come back. To Argentina. That's it. 
I made a call when I was 24 years old, and now I'm 35, and I'm here for good. So you 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 don't think you'll ever go back to Argentina? You're going to stay in no. Australia? Yeah. Well, we're very very lucky to have you here uh, in Adelaide, particular. But what about that 2010-11 season for Adelaide United? Because that was certainly your best season and the most fondly remembered season of your A-League career. You played 29 games that year. You started all of them, scored nine goals as Adelaide United finished third and made the semi-final. You're in the A-League team of the season. You win the Johnny Warren medal, which is the highest individual award one can win in the A-League. Can you explain... Mm -hmm how that season was for you and the memories of that season in particular. Argentinian import Marcus Flores has taken the prestigious Johnny Warren medal at the A-League Awards Night in Sydney. Well, yes, fellas, it's the most prestigious award in Australian football, the Johnny Warren medal, and it's gone to Adelaide's Marcus Flores. Congratulations. How good does that feel? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, I say before, I don't have words for, for describing my feelings. What my heart want to say in this moment, uh, um, my heart is speaking Spanish, um, but in English I have to say thank you, thank you very much Australia, thank you very much all the all the people in, in every city in Australia because everyone respect me and, and and treat me really really good and I feel so good here. It was really beautiful. It was really beautiful, really sweet. I mean. Uh, everything was magical. Everything was magical. I, w- I explained the first phase of that, you know, four months running and, and working hard and, and, and getting used to. Um, but, but man, um, eh, 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 I was super lucky. I was super lucky that Aurelio Wittmark, back in the day, he signed me and um, Sergio Van Dyke. He has Travis Dodd on the right. He has Lecky on the left. Um, and, well, then it's a lot of players. You know, Pantel is Ramsey. Uh, I, I, I got a thousand names in my head. Um, 80% of that squad was South Australian, you know. Um, and it felt, it felt so, so intense and so dangerous. That, that everything that we were thinking going forward was happening. Um, then is when I understood that people around you can empower you or can destroy you. And that year, um, playing with Travis Dodd was the best thing that, I ha- that happened in my career. Um, Travis Dodd was the person that really, when I, consul- when I was controlling the ball in such a way, he was already in the perfect position for me to play a through ball. And I couldn't do it with other amazing wingers in A-League. I couldn't do it. Not because my time, because I was 24 years old in Adelaide. You should, you, you're supposed to get better with time. You can't forget about how to play, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, I get what you're saying, yeah. I was 26, stronger in, in Melbourne. I was stronger. I was eating better because Anjos de Coglu was putting a spoonfuls every single day. So I was committed to do but we played without a number nine. And I was missing Sergio Van Dijk figure, you know what I mean? Because 
I understood that without the number nine, Marco Flores is too slow to play the game. And people doesn't doesn't stop thinking about it. You know, they don't. Ah, oh, no, he doesn't. He cannot score a goal with the he did one year ago. So, yes, I was playing nearly nearly as a as a eight or whatever it was, false nine, going back um, to defend if Liam Rose or the right back go forward. I was tracking them things that I didn't do in Adelaide. So football, football is funny. I mean, it was it was fantastic, Adelaide. Uh, on on the field and off the field was interesting. Um, was interesting because um, I never felt the love that the fans had with me. Um, I never felt it from the club perspective. They straight away when I did good, they wanted to. They showed me the doors and they said, "Okay, that's it." And I had two years contract back in the day, and I wanna, I wanted to stay. And then the Chinese club came, came through, and they do with Adelaide, and then they let, they, they told me, look, you got a Chinese club that wanted to pay, wanted to, to buy your transfer, and we're willing to do it. And then yeah, and then well, um, it was a good decision in the business perspective. It was, it was, it was good. It was something that you really wanted. I wanted to stay in Adelaide for, for 10 years. But Adelaide is not Sydney FC, you know. Adelaide is not a club that, that knew how to, how to embrace um, and keep talent. It, it, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about um, Travis Dodd. Travis Dodd, he... Uh, he was 30, 30 years old when, when he when they told him no, he's alright, we're gonna bring a better a better winger. He left half of my football left with him. I've had Travis Dodd on the show and he, he mentioned that as well when, when he went to Perth Glory. Was that after the two thousand and ten eleven season when Rennie Coolan fired seven players? Yep. What was what was the story there? Why why did that happen? Because um I didn't have a good relationship the entire year with him, so and and quite everyone knows that. Um, and 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 he came the first session to Adelaide United, and he said, "Oh, you Flores need to improve your path." Before he said, "Hello, how are you? Nice to meet you." Um, and I said, "Yeah, I'm 25 years old. I'm here to learn, buddy." But then we understood that he thought that he was the man and not the player. And he he got power by us winning, but we were winning because we have a really good, strong side, a really good group of players. Not just quality on on in terms of individuals. We have a really good core of people working together. Um, and yes, that 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 team was built by Aurelio Bidman, but. Yeah, four months later, he the the, the import that he brought was Andy Slory, really cool then. Um, and yeah, and and that is it. But then the the club extended the contract for four years to the coach, and then and then they approached Flores, they approached um, Lecky Light, Lecky Left, and they approached all the players. So first they secured the coach, and then we want to talk about players, correct? Um, 
and, and didn't work out, man, because seven, eight players we left. He brought a completely new team and he finished second last. Yeah, well, it was, not, what, that was not a good time for Adelaide United at all. It was, it, it, but um, unfortunately, it is what it is, you know. Um, and it was like, like um, uh, sometimes I, I, when I chat about with Adelaide fans, um, uh, I love them, man, but it was only one year that I played in Adelaide. It felt that I played forever. Um, it feels like you and, were there for 10 years. It really does. Yeah, but you know why? Because people don't forget what, how you make them feel. To be honest with you, Marcos, the way Adelaide United supporters think of you is very similar to the, how they think of Isaias. With the know. difference that Isaias was five years, one trophy. Y- yeah, but you were you were just a much-loved figure, one of the, the favourites of all time to play for that club. That is, was, that is one, one of the things that that I would treasure for me forever, no matter what. Uh, because at the end of the day, I put that jersey and I played like a child, you know? And I did that in every single environment that I could, you know? When I could, I could. I went to the game, I went to Bali United my last year of my career, and the president said to me, Flores, we've got a top five, um, we've got bonus if you finish five with the team. Chief. If you finish fifth with the team, fifth, I said, I thought it was bonus for winning, winning trophies. Now this club is all, always middle table, and you know we're never gonna make it. Or okay, I played like it was my last day in in in, in football because at the end of the day I knew that that is how you need to play the game. You go to every single game thinking that is the last. Um, we finished top. We finished top with that team, and 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 it was because of love and representing the jersey with with passion. Um, and I went when I needed to go and do tacos, I was doing tacos, and when I needed to actually try to play through both. Um, I did not play 10 years in Indonesia because I was not doing showing off. You know, when you actually do 2,000 step overs, they used to love that, you know. Um, there is fine. Um, if I actually suggest a foreigner to go to Indonesia, you, I suggest them, you know, to, to show off, you know, to do things that, you know, leagues they could kill you for it. Um, um, and I was not capable to do that. I didn't like it. Yeah, okay. I didn't like to play football just to complete a pass and, and, and to go with my, with my slow pace, try to be intense, you know, try to, try to, try, try to, to go with everything that I've got. Referee says, fellas, take a break, it's half time. Hey everyone, I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid. Subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. Now, enough of that. 
let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. Just before you before you went to Bali, you spent a few years in China, but you didn't really play a lot of regular football. How, One year in China, yeah. Yeah, how did you... How did you then go to Melbourne Victory? How did that come come about? Harry Kewell quit football, and that is why Ange Postecoglou called me. Okay, so you never played with Harry Kewell at Melbourne Victory, did you? No. The reason is that, that I tried... Um, I, I, I thought that I was coming back to Adelaide. Um, um, I said in the advertisement back in the day, I wanted to come back home. I was a big article about myself. In the, in the back of the advertiser saying Flores wanted to come back home, blah, blah, blah. He's being released from China, da, da, da. Um, my agents, my agents back in the day um, tried to get in touch with the, with them, with them, with the board and with the coaches and, and things didn't went through. Um, a lot of methods are that economic side and da, da, da. we just wanted a paper on the table and the paper on the table needed to set the contract for two years or, or, or one year or whatever it is but on the paper and we couldn't go through because also was not a spot for me in Adelaide because Dario Vidalcic was here and Sergio Van Dijk was here also as a foreigner so it was not a spot for me they needed to release the player to, to, to make me come in um, and that thing was not happening, and it got delayed. They, they were dilatating the stuff and was getting late. And until I received a message from Adelaide saying, "Look, look, we can do nothing to bring you back. We wish you the very best." And then I, I went worried because I was thinking, "Where am I going to play now?" So 48 hours later, um, I'm supposed to call you, give me a call, and Wanderers gave me a call. Popovich. Wonder is back in the day. That was a big mistake, though. Because that, um, that was their that first was season, wasn't it? The first season, man. and they have only six players when they call me. Yeah, and they ended up they ended up making the grand final that first season. Yeah, and, and but losing the first five games. Yeah, it was a bad start, and then they, they won. Uh, sorry, they made the grand final, and then the year after they won the Champions League. <laughs> so, um. I, I had that uh, that two options, and yeah, applying for Anjosikoglu was the main one of the one of the important reasons. Yep, um, it was it was tough for for me to get adapt to that change. Obviously, I mean, I wanted to play for Adelaide, but the, um, things didn't work it out. I'm, I'm, and yeah, and I and I became the marquee player of victory, which was was a privilege to be in that spot. Um, um, and we have the same result. We finished third. We lost the semi-final with Central Coast Mariners. Um, and yeah, um, I the, the, the highlights of what I can remember was that I won the goal of the year. Flores in space. He's got options to his left and his right. Keeps possession, Marcos Flores. Gets it back. Works it with Pinkler. Flores! Super! is one of the best goals we've seen so far this season. Absolutely 
fantastic. With outside of my food, which was one of the things that Anish Postecoglou used to hate it from me, um, he used to tell me that every time that I touched outside of food, I needed to pay fines. He he wanted me to play with the left foot, but quite late, mate. I was 26 years old, 28, 26, 27. I couldn't do it, you know. Until one day, I said, "Look, uh, Anish, if I, you." You can get up 35 miss the target, man, but I don't have the time to fix my left foot right now. I need to complete passes. <laughs> oh, that's that's a cool story though, and that was a very, <laughs> that was a very good goal though. But th- but that season at Victory, you had yep. like Archie Thompson, Goo Finkler, Marco Rojas, Ange Postecoglou yep. as the coach. Um, yep. What do you think was the reason why you couldn't make the grand final that year? And then also on top of that. Why were you released by the victory? And also, how did the Mariners come about? So, three questions it, in one yep. there, yeah. But Okay, okay. Is it all right? Um, Gip Inkler got hurt after the 13th game with an ACL. So, we lost an important player. I think it, he was one of the reasons. When we lost him, it was a big shock for us. Because he was in charge of the set pieces, and he was um, he was my my twin inside the field. I think he was the the elegant twin, and I was the more irresponsible twin. Um, I love that. He, he was uh, he was really technical. He didn't look like Brazilian. He looked more like a European, like Kaká. You know, left, right, really elegant. You know. Um, I loved it. I mean, for me, it was really enjoyable to play with him, and and I was more responsible. You know, this guy that doesn't that looks like he's gonna miss it or he's gonna do a turnover and somehow go through. You know, um, and when 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 both of us we were in the field it was quite difficult for the teams. You know, to 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 figure out from which from which half of the field was the through ball was going to come through. And this, 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 my job in in that Melbourne victory uh, role was to play the ball to Marco Rojas through or at his feet. That was my job. And I said to Ange, but Ange, I will not score goals, man, and people will kill me. And he said, don't worry. If you make that, that job, I will protect you. Okay. So I end up the, 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 the Melbourne victory season with, Four goals and one assist. Yeah. Four goals and one assist. And Marco Rojas, which was my task, ended up with 16 goals and 16 assists. Won the Johnny Warren. That was my job, yeah? So why Marco Rojas ended up with 16 assists? Because our job of Finca and me was putting Archie Thompson and Marco Rojas versus the goalkeeper. So we were playing the through ball, and then Marco Rojas was squaring to, to, to Archie Thompson. And same thing with Thompson. So all the team worked for both of them that they were waiting in the half of the field. So that was our t- a tactic, you know, to break down, to make counter-attacks really aggressive. And we did it. Um, um, but the, that was the last part that I, that I didn't expect. It. I didn't got protected. They said to me, yeah, yeah, you do that job, run, pass the ball to Rojas, it's going to be good. 
In that video of Mega Victory highlights, I played 2,000 through bows, but because the guys were three against the goalkeeper, the, 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 the older task was you square the ball. You don't, you don't take your, your chance. You need to square. So, every time, every time they play the through ball, or you think they play the through ball, the stats didn't, didn't came to us, even if it was the most difficult part. So, um, the stats didn't help us, and I, I was not protected. They said to me, yeah, go on holidays, everything is all right. When I came back, my clothes was not there, and, and they started playing around to make me break. With, you know, and they did it for a while until Graham Anno called me one day and said, and said to me, look, we won the championship, Mark, oh, congratulations, coach. Yeah, well, um, and, and yeah, and he said, I, I wanted you to be you. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah you can play it at the 10. You can stop being that false nine. Okay. But you need to give up a big percentage of your contract. And I said, yep, no problem. I so wanted had, to pay. So you had to take a pay cut. You have to give a pay cut, yep. So I said, okay, no problem. Because back then... Take me now. Back then, the Mariners were stacked. They were they were a very, very good team back then. Yeah, it was the end of that very good team because Tommy Rodgers left, Mabring left, um. And yeah, and together we were competitive, but Granano left after the fourth game. Yeah, because that, like, I mean, you already pretty much mentioned it, but that, that championship, putting it in context, that championship they won the year before, that was like their last chance to win one because they had been in three or four grand finals in the first four or five years of the A-League but could never get there. Yep. They, they never got it done. Yep. And that was their last yep. chance. And I probably think that... When you came in, it was it was to bolster their championship credentials. Do you know what I mean? To try and go back yeah. to back, but then it didn't mm-hmm. work. It didn't work out because you tore your ACL that year. But before that, at the fifth game, Brian Anno left to Japan. Oh yeah, he did too. Yes, yes, you're right. And that killed us, man. When Brian Anno said goodbye, he hugged me and he said sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> Sorry, you, you know why? Because I remember that when I was in Melbourne, I received a huge contract from Saudi Arabia, mate. And I didn't want to leave Australia with that image, you know, with that with that taste of Melbourne victory. I didn't want to do that. So I quit a big contract in Saudi Arabia. When I actually shared the figures to a grand, I know he said like, wow, what are you going to do? Do you regret that? Uh, no. And it was a lot of money. But you know what? I don't regret. Because I met Grand Anu. I learned with him in five in, in three months that we shared together. I learned with him what is to be a club person. Then when he left, everything went to hell. I actually I actually uh, did my ACL. But I connect with the Australian football and Australian community to one level that you could not imagine, man. I visited every single local club, man, because I was in crutches. I couldn't do nothing. 
So I sat in every single oval watching football, football, football with my little book and just writing things and, and becoming ambassador of Wyoming Tigers and, and giving trophies to them. And uh, Central Coast Manager didn't even know where I was. It might have and been I a blessing just, in disguise then because you, it, gave I loved you, it. it gave you a chance to connect with the community. Yeah, and, and I loved it big time. And, and I did my rehab and I understood what hard work means when you're doing an ACL. You need to learn to walk again, everyone, you know. Um, takes 12 months to recover. 12 months to recover. Here in Australia is really good, one thing, but it's really bad. It's open a debate for me that we should actually talk about it. When a player gets get hurt, you get insurance. The clubs get insurance, so they get covered. So you keep earning the same money that you are on for um, until you recover or for two years if that is the end of your career. That is the deal with the insurance. That's, pretty, right? that, that's very good, though. That's very good. Yes, in the financial way. But when you are 24 years old and they tell you, see a lighter from the club because it's not a responsibility from them because already the insurance is going to cover you, you stop playing the sport now. In Argentina, we don't have this insurance. Or maybe we have the insurance, but what the clubs do is that they actually renew your contract until you recover. When you do the session that you can do 11-11 for 40 minutes, they tell you thank you very much. The clubs are responsible to put you on the ground. And only that thing, man, for me, which what we need to twist is that, yes, let's do the insurance. The guy is going to get paid. Okay, we don't want to register him into the squad because we need to replace him with another foreigner. Great, no problem. But keep him in the club, mate, until he recovers. Instead of doing the precision with 23, do it with 24, mate. Because they want results. When, when a player gets injured, it's, it's almost like a wasted spot on the list. Yes. It's very, it's very harsh, whereas the A-League doesn't have that. When a player is injured, they can, they, can, they can afford to keep them on the list, whereas in some of the bigger countries, they've got to fill the spots. So if someone gets injured, unless they're a superstar player, you're out. Yeah, but, they, but there exist people like Ryan Anno that he signed Matt Simon when he was injured. Matt Simon is... Still at Central Coast now. He went to Sydney, but now he's back there. Yep. And when he has, Matt Simon has an issue with, um, with a, a, a personal issue that, that, that you know, uh, he, uh, Brian Arno took it to Sydney. So you got people that is human. You are, as a boss, you can make the decisions. For example, now I'm running the club. Yep. I'm running the club, Adelaide Atletico. If I got injured, I would be there for a kid. I would not tell him, you got insurance here, it's our insurance, shout I don't come to the training anymore. Yeah, 100%. So, if you want, if you want people to get that feeling of family, you need to behave like family. You need to behave when, they, when, when the lights are off. So, anyway, I actually did all my, all my, all my love with the Central Coast Mariners community and everything, and I left. And I left Australia thinking, okay, now I'm in a good one. 27 years old, 28, wrapped up the ACL. You need six months ahead. 
who is going to want you, Marcus? Who? Just play me. Just go on trials in the third division Argentina. Go on trials to Israel at 26 years old. So how did, how did Newcastle come about? Like this. They called me. They called me and they said to me, how is your, how is your knee? Nick DeLuca, um, Bridgie, Bridgie called me, uh, Nick DeLuca, and, and the coach was Philip Sabin. Well, we didn't see the coach yet when, when Newcastle called me. And Newcastle called me and said, how's your knee, mate? I said, good, thank you for asking. And they said, do you have any video or do you have any records of what you're doing? And I said, every day I record myself. Give me, just get a drop box and I will send you a minute of every single day of my rehab. And I was super committed, man, to come back to play soccer, but I needed that call. So if you ask me, if I had to do a tattoo, I tattoo Newcastle Jets, man. Not even Adelaide. Because your, your Newcastle career, you played... Well, only really a handful of games. I mean, yeah. What? What? Ten games, fifteen games. Yeah. What, and you? Only, I think you only scored the one goal. What? What happened? What happened? That Newcastle was in a big trouble. Um, we yeah, we struggled as a team. But what is Newcastle in my life? Is that is 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 the club that give me the hand when nobody wants to give me. So I'm sure that's something you'll be forever grateful for. Forever. And, and what happened is that on the 10th game, I received a call from the United States. Six months before my contract expired, I just signed for six months. So I recovered for four. I played two months. And and the United States called me. And they put a contract for me for three years. I sit with Nick DeLuca. And I said, Nick, what is going to happen next year here? Are we going to... We're going to sell the club. I don't know. No, nobody's safe here. I got this opportunity. Nick DeLuca was super upset, you know. And he was super upset. I was upset also. But I said, guys, I was even four, four years and a half already in the country. For my visa was perfect. But, but uh, Newcastle was really, really going down like everyone knew. You know, they, 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 they changed the owners and there was a lot of things happening off the field. That um, Nick DeLuca called me one day and said, Marcus, you got a bless, you can go. That ended up being your last time in the A-League. It's, it's unbelievable. And I said that to Nick DeLuca, now he's working for, for Eastern Melbourne. Yep, is that right? Eastern Melbourne or Western Melbourne, sorry. Western United. Western United, yeah. Um, I met him and I said to him again, thank you, man. I need to do the tattoo, man. If one day I do the tattoo, I want to do the jet. Because, man, you gave me a hand when nobody, man. It's really easy to take a photo with the Johnny Warren. Really easy. Oh, my goodness. No one no one called you. And you just did it, man. So you're I love that community. So you're full of, you're full of gratitude for, for what, that, what they did for you. Yep, I love it. So what, because after you left 
uh, Newcastle. You went to America, Chile, Indonesia, and you even there was even a time where you reunited with Sergio Van Dyke. What I want to talk about just quickly is Bali United. What is the standard of football like there in Bali? The A League season is in the summer, and a lot of a lot of foreign players talk about how hot it is here in Australia. I've been to Bali twice myself, and it is always hot there, humid all yep. year round. What mm-hmm. was it like to play football there in Bali? It was tough. It was really tough to play in that but humidity, was though. It was it was difficult, but you get adapt, you adapt yourself. The football is not so intense. It's not so intense. It gets crazy for a moment, you know. People are explosive. But also, when they keep the ball, it's really slow. You know? Yeah, it's really yeah, right. Slow. So you get through. I was, I was working really hard in Indonesia, in Bali United. I was, I was more the defensive midfielder playing as the number 10. And, and with Van Dyke, I was the 10 in Persib and at his club. You know, um, I loved it. Um, we, we played together in Persib and um, in 13 games, he scored 12 goals um, that we played together. Um, and before that, he in 15 games he scored three. Um, and the reason, and both of us, we already 32 years old, and we were when we played together. He was 26, and I was 24, or 20, he was 27, I was 25, whatever it was, 24. And man, he was, he was um, what Travis and, and Sergio were the. The, the people that I actually connect, the, the chemistry was so natural um, that um, in two seconds, we, from when I arrived to that club, was 12, something like that, and we finished fourth. So we went up, and, and yeah, I was, it was a really intense six months. And then I got signed by this Valley United. Um, and yeah, when I went there, the beginning was tough because you know Bali is a really chill vibes, you know, and the place are the same thing, you know. They didn't wanted to make tacos, and it was like quite difficult to win to win the ball back, man. So what what's the standard of football like in Bali? Good man, you got you got four to five uh, four to five good players, uh, strong players from Holland, from Brazil, from from all around the world. But it, you don't need to be a good player to, to play in that league. You need to be resilient. I would imagine the the heat is like a mental battle. It's yeah, a mental you need to game. be resilient. Not just only the heat. Then you actually wanted to go and take a shower. And, and, and yeah, maybe one stadium will have a shower. And maybe, you know, um, and you wanted to go to a gym and, and some clubs don't have a gym. Yeah, the, the facilities are not there. And then, yeah, but... Um, if you are resilient, if you are resilient and you love your game and you have a teamwork in your head and you understand what teamwork means, football is is good in Indonesia. I love it. I love it. I got really close to to the local players, um, and I was one 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 more of them. You know. Um. And yeah, it was intense in Indonesia, but we 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 said goodbye in 2018, and then in that in that summer, my father passed away. Right, three quarter time here on A5Q, and. 
this guest I've got on, you're going to really want to listen to it because things get a little bit heated towards the end. Not not necessarily between me and him, but just some of the things he talks about um, and some of the, the difficult times in his career is very, very interesting. So I had the opportunity to sit down and have a chat with three-time premiership player, Brownlow medalist, All-Australian, best and fairest in the AFL, the one Jason Ackermanis. That's right. Absolutely one of my idols growing up. And to listen to him speak about every issue in his career was unbelievable. So I'll just give you a snippet and we'll go from there. No, it's and it, and it burns in my soul. It's probably the only thing left, but I just, I just can't stand. What I can't stand is now. You know what they do? They, uh, they do, they do it the right way. I'm not saying they learn anything from when I did it, but they certainly it up. Didn't give me a chance to have a last game. Didn't give me a chance to say goodbye to the fans. Just left me hanging. All because of a few selfish in, in the Bulldogs who just couldn't handle it. Had a silk and you know, like it. There's not one part of ever speaks well of those guys for doing that. Like, when you give your life to the game, you deserve just a hair bit more. It wasn't even much. I didn't even ask him too much. Just, just to clap around or, or just to say thanks so much. And in the end, I never had that. Never had a chance to say goodbye or anything like that. It's like, it, it didn't have to be that way. And so it's it's a shame. It happened. Um, you know, I walk away and I, was, I would have had it. I carried it with me for a long time, I've got to tell you. I'm over it now, but you know, now that you mentioned it, does it still burns bright? That that was just one minute of over an hour conversation. So trust me, it gets better. You've got to listen to the full episode when it becomes available in a couple of weeks' time. And also, there is a lot of swearing, as you probably could tell, uh, in the full episode that will not be beeped out. So just a warning for anyone that is a little bit sensitive to swear words, it won't be beeped out. Okay, but anyway. Let's move on because we've got to get back to our boy, Marcos Flores. Yeah, well, that that brings us into my next question because a couple of years ago now, you did sadly lose your father. And from what I understand, you lost a lot of passion for the game of football. If you are comfortable to talk about it, Marcos, I'd love for you to, to give us a bit of an insight into that period of your life and how your father's passing impacted your thoughts and feelings of of football and life in general? It was super tough because my father was super young, 63 years old. He was a doctor, never smoke, never drink, um, really healthy man. Um, he got a heart attack. Um, and when that thing happened to me, man, I reviewed my life. And for the, the previous 10 years of, of that day, I was traveling around the world, man. Something that my father was encouraging me, you know? He he loved it, myself playing sport. I think I, I I achieved the dream that he had when he was a child. He wanted to be a soccer player, you know? Um um and yeah, and and in one moment I didn't have my father anymore and and ten years, you know, passing into my into my head thinking Wow, Jesus Christ, man, the, the last 10 years I have 50 barbecues with my dad. 50, 5-0, man. 10 years. I saw him 50 days of 10 years. So that is unfair football, you know what I mean? And I was super, I don't know, upset. I don't know if it was depression or what it was, but I was upset. And I was angry and I didn't want to play football. And when people was inviting me to play soccer, I didn't like it. 
I was playing at the ball, I was scoring the goal, and I nothing moved in my head, you know, in my face. So I thought it's time to, to, to stop because I hate that. And yet my professional football career finished with him. And that's it. And now, after I did all my heel uh, recovery, um, I did all that trip around the world helping kids in Africa. Man, I went there trying to teach things that people, you know, people skip on me, you know, and people. I wanted to teach kids what Marcos Flores wanted at 12 years old. So I was, I was trying to, to meet players saying, do left and right, buddy. You know what I mean? Um, and I was telling thousands of people in the street, you know, I was, I was traveling with the soccer ball. So I was just throwing the soccer ball and people in, 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 in the streets and and look how naive I was, man. I was thinking that I was helping them, but I was not helping them. They were helping me, me. They were helping me. Because without thinking, I was spending seven hours in the street playing soccer. Was that what reignited your love for the game? That you were able to to do it's that, nice. you know, in memory of your father, go around and... and you know, bring up the new generation, go around and teach the kids how to play football. Yeah, because I saw myself as a kid again, man. And I was playing in Madagascar, in Kenya. In... And I started playing and laughing with them. And when I was coming, you know, I was returning to the hostels and I was looking at videos and I was thinking, oh, look at this smile. Oh, look at this smile. Oh, look at this smile. Um, in my career, in the 16 years of career I when when I was playing I didn't have the most beautiful smile playing you know I was always worried always with pressure always you know uh, and and in the streets I was laughing all the time and so I thought yeah great I can't wait to play amateurs and then is when Adelaide City called me when I was in the middle of Tanzania and and yeah, I came back to MPL. I enjoyed it until it last, you know. It was one year, but then, then I started, I started confronting my beliefs with the MPL, you know. Because uh, I actually, I'm a person who preach opportunity for the kids, and I, I didn't want it to be the player blocking them, you know. I think at that, that level of MPL had to be full of kids, man. I do believe there should be the rule. A rule that if you wanted to play MPL second division, you you need to be under 23 plus three players over age. Should happen, man. So we start checking more players and giving more opportunities. And all these 30 years old, the Flores and all these guys, if you wanted to keep playing football and getting some cash, go to the Stanley too. So you improve the daily one. Go to amateurs. They give you more money amateurs. So you improve the amateur football. And we improve all together. People don't go to the stadium in MPL to watch Marco Flores with 35 years old and with two operations in the knee. No, they don't go to watch that. They go to watch the younger players that are coming through. But if the 16 years old turn up and play the first debut with LA City, he brings the Nona, Nono, Uncle, 
auntie, 2,000 friends from the college. And people want crowds? Good kids, man. Keep, keep three, four players over eight. And that's it. But make the rule that you need to be under 23. Make the rule. Because if not, keep blocking players. Players that they don't want to make it. I mean, yeah, I get it. That is a MPO or whatever. But even it's funny because when, when they won the trophy, nothing happened, you know. Some, some people win 10 trophies as a coach in MPO and they never get close at the coach A-League. If, if that thing happens, why would we keep doing it? I don't get it. Prestige? Is that prestige to win? Maybe. I don't know. I think Australian football needs to, to give more opportunities to the kids because the 17 and 18 years old, they're going, they going on trial to the second division in Serbia, man. You should do it here. Playing. Do it here in Australia. Do it here, man. Do it here. And now we've got a big opportunity because the Federation is doing something really great. They actually broadcasting every single game. And that is a bless for people who want to learn, man. It's a bless because you can watch, you can go to YouTube and watch Adelaide City versus Cumberland. Or you can go to watch South Melbourne versus um, Abundale. Or, you know, you can you can do it. I got coaches that are, that are calling me from Melbourne, saying to me, "Marcus, can you ask the name of these kids in Cumberland?" And that is happening because of broadcasting. Congratulations, Federation, for doing the broadcasting. Now let's make the rules. It'll be more interesting. Anyway, what I'm asking is happening. Because if you think about it, only a few teams got 7, 8, 30 years old. But now more than likely play young players because they wanted to be more dynamic. It's happening. With the guys who keep the 30 years old, they got more experience. Yeah, In capitals, I put it. They got more experience and they win trophies. But there is, there is Adelaide United, for example. They've, they've finished middle of the table and they are improving players. So if all of us would do the same thing, Adelaide United will be more competitive. Yeah. It's going to be more even. And you win by the product of your youth development. That is, a, that is the beauty of football. Because you as a club, you build your players to be good in the first team. Yeah. But here, no, man. Here we said that. But then after, the MPO clubs are bringing and rotating the players like in A-League. Exactly like in age. Yeah. So the 17 years old quit. 17 years seven. How many 17 years old quit every single every single year? Because there's no clear pathway. There's no clear pathway, and then the MPO wants only experienced players. And when you get experienced, then when? Very very hard to get in. Very hard. You you get experienced by playing. If you make everyone to have nine players under 23 and two over eight, but as a rule, you're going to see who is really working good in youth development and who is not. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with everything you just said. I think there needs to be more attention on that pathway to get to the A-League and bringing up the new generation. 
because people talk, and we mentioned it earlier, people talk about the Vadukas and the Kills and the Cahills and these sort of players. And instead of focusing on how good those times were, we need to, fi- we need to figure out how to get players like that going forward. And you're obviously we one of those people who are really focusing on that. We need to challenge the new generation. We need to challenge them. You can't tell what we, what people used to tell the players in the 80s. For example, Harry Kill get to Europe. Hey, little kangaroo, if you don't run here, we're going to kill you. And Harry Kill just ran and blah, blah, blah. You can't do that thing anymore. Is that right? No, no. You can't do it. You go in jail. So now, if we do the things clear, how you stimulate a kid 10 years old that got seven prestations, got three Mercedes Benz daddy, how you stimulate the kid? I would say, can you complete this pass? This ball is back to my hand. The kid would say to me, yes, of course I can do it. Okay, good. Let's try it. Pop, the ball drops. Can you do 10 times? Let's focus. Pop, pop, pop. He do the 10 times in, in 30 seconds. Now, can you do the 10 times in less than 20 seconds, buddy? And then the kid drop it, yeah? I, uh, he dropped three times. Okay, you did seven in 20 seconds. Now, come on, James. Try to do it. And James, with the cheapest boots, goes and do 10 in 20 seconds. So what happened with the kid, the previous kid that did seven? When you said to them, let's go and drink water, this kid said again, uh, um, um, come to you as a coach and said, uh, coach, 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 what, what happened, buddy? Can I do it again? Ah, okay. We'll put it on the video, yeah? Yeah, yeah, let's put it on the video. And the kids work really hard to do 10 in 20 seconds. That's how we need to, need to, we need to challenge the kids to complete the basics by timing and by video. Because if not, you said to the, in any team, in any team in the, in, 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 in the state, no matter how good you are as a coach, you say, come on, guys, do bullies, and the guys drop it, man. I, sometimes I think that they do on purpose, you know what I mean? <laughs> when I got a good day, you know, I go all my patience, my love. I say, guys, please do it for me, man. I, I beg you, I beg you, let's, comp- let's finish the warm-up without dropping the ball. And we go on videos, and I get back home at 9 o'clock, and my missus wanted to kill me because I sit on the iPad for one hour trying to check who dropped it. And she said, why are you doing this? I said, because I care every single touch, baby. You really care about those kids and, and, and making them the best they can be. We need to. If not, if not, I can't go to the coffee and say, oh, sorry, shit. If you wanted to criticize, what are you doing, buddy? I don't think that everything is wrong. I think that we can improve things. Yes, of course. First, improve yourself. Try to give the best that you can to the kids. Try to care about every single touch. And one day you're going to be lucky that this, this player knocked the door of your club. We don't build genius players. We don't build elite players. That is not a recipe. That kid born in the state knocked the door of a random club. And if he's lucky, he's going to be guided properly and he's going to be good. But if it is not lucky, the A-League player will go through anyway. Anyhow, he will go through. 
because he loved the game, because the guy, the, the kid loved the game, and he would practice and he would do things that the coaches cannot teach. Man. Marcos, I love I love your energy, man. I, lo- I feel I feel your energy. I feel your enthusiasm, and more more to the point, I feel your passion. I I, I just think you're you've got such the intention you've got is so genuine and so strong, and I really respect you for that. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, and I'm 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 blessed to be around of people that believe in the same thing. I'm I'm super thankful for the coaches that that are coming along i'm super i'm super thankful of the mpo coach that called me two weeks ago just to chat about the game we met at 12 o'clock and we finished five o'clock. and he didn't have any interest to bring me to his club nothing we just talk about the game just chat five hours to chat about the game and if we don't work together man if we are not able to set what you think that is good for others to feel inspired to just you know um we are lost yeah absolutely if people if people go to the park and say oh hey i'm 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 a i'm a pro footballer i've got a secret to make good players good one i said good one i love it help others help others so we, we improve all together absolutely in in every facet of life not just football Marcos, just as we are about to get towards the end now, I just want to ask you three last questions. And all my guests that I have on, I always ask them in one sentence. In your entire career, whether it's in the A-League or overseas, who is the best player you ever played with and why? Who is the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who is the best coach you ever played under and why? The best player that I played with is Travis Dodd because... He he made me show my my strength. I'm thankful for that. Um, the best rival, the opponent that I played against, I would say um, Sandro Mandrikelme in Argentina, Boca Juniors, News of Boys. I was on the bench. I didn't come on. Um, I want to do the confession in, in your podcast, man. That was the only game in my life that I didn't want to come on because I was enjoying watching my idol playing. Didn't want to come on. That, that's, that is very interesting. You were happy just to sit there. The only game in my life. <laughs> you were happy just to sit there on the bench. I was super happy. I was nearly crying, man. Because I was watching my idol. So it was... And I was probably not ready to go to first division at 8 and 19, 19 years old. Emotionally, I was not adjusted yet. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, Juan Romante killed me, man. Fuck. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I don't Sorry. apologize, no. And the best coach that I ever play under, Brian Ado. In five games, I scored four goals and one assist. The same assist that I did with Ange Postecoglou for 27 games. It's interesting because, you know, everyone wonders, and particularly Central Coast supporters, what could have been if Graham Arnold didn't leave and if you didn't get injured? Maybe we could actually win the game because at the end of the day, that team, that team with under the guidance of the, the, his assistant coach, um, he went to the semifinals. Lost against Wanderers. 
could have gotten. Wonder played plays again, played against Adelaide, I think it was. Or no, Central Coast beat Adelaide in the elimination final. Okay, yeah, and then, and then I think it was Wonder Sydney. Who no? In two thousand and fourteen, it was Brisbane Raw. Brisbane Raw, yeah. Yes. So okay. they were playing the other, the other, the other hand. We 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 lost against Wanderers, I think. Right. Yes. Even even with without Grian and without his knowledge and so, but Grian Arnold taught me how to manage a group of players. With love, with, with caring, with passion, with personality, not by, not by yelling, by fear, by I'm a I'm a I'm a world champion. I'm the best. You need to do what I, what I, what I'm telling you. I don't believe in that. The players are gonna be always ninety percent responsible of their success. And the coach is a 10%, an important 10%, of course, man. Really important. Marcos, I just want to say, just before I let you go, I want to say a very big thank you for, for coming on. You are an absolute gentleman, and I really admire everything you're doing now out of football, your passion for the game, and your passion to bring up the next generation. It's really inspirational, and and I want to say all the very best for you moving forward with your with your son and your family. And I wish you all the very best. It's been absolutely fantastic to sit down and have a chat with you today. Beautiful. Welcome to Adelaide Atletico when when you are around. Let's let the kids choose their sport, you know. We might uh, there is a lot of sports in this country, but we, we hope that we that we engage more kids to play the game so the kids don't have enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating. Until next time, old sport.